whether the individual does it on his or her own or not, he, she will be forced to her knee to be able to say, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no one more powerful than him. He reigns over all. And even in this moment right now, if that truth is a hard one for you, it's time to humble ourselves and bow our knees to him and submit to him and the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life because he has the power to handle absolutely everything that this broken world would bring in front of you. And so we should constantly be celebrating that amazing truth. Hey, let's pray together, okay? Father, we do kneel before you recognizing and speaking as a, as a body, as your body, your church. Together we declare the powerful and the mighty name of Jesus. Oh Lord, forgive us for the times where we have determined that we can handle things on our own for the moments where we step out, expressing a lack of trust in you, trying to make decisions we think would be best for us and our family. Forgive us, God. You are powerful. And Lord, even as we've had a chance and moments in our lives to taste and experience the goodness of God, there is nothing more we need from you than to be in your eternal presence at your side, looking to you for guidance and direction and comfort and peace. Lord, as we open the word together now, it's my great desire that your word would be what does the speaking. Holy Spirit of God, convict the, convict the heart, bring comfort and peace where necessary, bring repentance and forgiveness where is necessary. Express your sovereign and powerful control over the life of this church in these next moments and forevermore, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, kids, I believe you're going now, and I understand that you're moving on up. I expect Corey right now to play a song for each one of us. As you are probably, well, if you're at least my age or older, understanding the reference there. Um, so yeah, let's, okay, so I want you to think while my computer decides once again to cause me trouble. Um, all right, here we go. Here we go. You ready? All right. Why, why Labor Day? Of course, you're like, oh, yeah, Todd, you would choose the last sermon for the pastor's choice. Of course, it would have to be something related to Labor Day. So I've asked a number of people, what's Labor Day all about? And almost every time I get the same response. Well, it's a day for us to, to step away from the routine of our work and have a day of just resting. That's what everyone, well, that's at least those that I've asked. I'm sure there are some in here that actually know the real purpose behind Labor Day, and this is what it is. According to the U.S. Department of Labor, man, this is exciting, isn't it? What a great way to get the attention of the church on a day where we're probably tired from the weekend's festivities. According to the U.S. Department of Labor, this is why we have Labor Day. It's an annual celebration. Here we go. The arrogance of America coming right out, even in this declaration, the we're, we're supposed to recognize and celebrate tomorrow with fun and festivities, with parades and parties, not rest. We're not supposed to rest. We're supposed to do this, to celebrate and recognize the social and economic achievements of American workers. Bam. How about that? 
It's a day that's determined for us to recognize the many contributions workers have made in America's strength, prosperity, and well-being. That's what the U.S. Department of Labor had determined somewhere back in the late 1800s. Uh, We should have this special day where we recognize and celebrate those things. Who cares, right? Like right now, who cares that they determined that a long time ago, that this is something that we should recognize? So what, what has the Labor Day weekend become for you? Actually, for all of us. Here's, here's what I believe it is. For most of us, unless you are that true blue American that you are going to celebrate the power of the American worker, this is what I believe it's become. It is the bookend to the end of the summer. So we have the bookend at the front of summer, which is Memorial Day weekend. And for many of us, that's a, yes, we celebrate what we're supposed to on that day, but it is a, it's the opening of the season of summer in West Michigan. And it should be celebrated because there is not a better time to live in West Michigan than the summertime. But then we have, then we have this holiday called Labor Day that's the bookend of summer. And at the end of summer, it's a, oh my goodness, here we go. We're walking away from the crazy of summer, the vacations, the the family outings, the cookouts, everything. Bam, here we go. Summer is over. Now it's time for us to roll back into routine. And along with that routine comes fall, which we all love. We love to celebrate fall. We love to experience fall, the beauty and the majesty of God's creation as it begins to change color. But we know this. Right on the heels of fall is winter. And along with winter comes cloudy skies. We seldom see the sky in West Michigan, do we? We seldom see the sun in the sky in West Michigan, don't we? Snow, short days, long nights, cold. This is what the bookend of Labor Day weekend means for many of us. For some of us, it's the last weekend to experience that fun family trip. And what, what we have originally believed is to be a weekend of rest and recovery from a season of long and trying to get the last thing in. Here's what, here's what I know about most of us. We, in some regard, celebrate the coming of that day because we know starting Tuesday, we are back into routine, which I don't know if you're like me, with routine comes true rest. It's a restful thing for me to be done with the magnificent festivities of summer, and now here we are back into routine. It's a place where I find rest. What about you? A day off equals rest. It equals relief. It's a time of refreshing as we step away from the routine, as we step away from the things that are the the day in, day out of life, rest. It causes us to have breathing room, It's a break, it's an escape from what we would call normal. So let me ask you this, as you think, as you think through, okay, my mind has just been blown by this magnificent holiday called Labor Day, where is it that you look for rest, all right? Where do you go for rest? Where do you go for refreshment, for breathing room? What do you do when you get bored, when it's time to find something new? Where do you go when things get too hard? All right? I want you to be thinking about that. Where do you look for refreshment and escape? On a good summer's evening, 
Instead of sitting in front of the TV and watching the next show to kind of check out of life, I love to go and sit on the deck and, I, and, and watch Twilight take over, looking up into the blue sky, seeing the stars start to form, having nothing else to do but think. It's one of the things I love to do. Sunday afternoon naps, who doesn't do that? Place of refreshment, a place to breathe. How about, guys, tree stands maybe? Maybe you like to read a book, bury yourself in that. Maybe, maybe you're someone who just simply avoids the hard things of life and you run from it. It's where you find rest, actually running from the hard things of life. The hard things of life that always seem to come and never go away. Maybe some of you hide, find rest in a bottle. You know what, here's what's really crazy. This morning, this morning, I see Eric Egan. Eric Egan is a dear friend of mine. He used to go to church here, and he moved to Chicago, and then something happened when he was in Chicago. And so I'm standing in the foyer today, and someone says, hey, uh, Eric's trying to get your attention. And he's standing over there going like this. And I'm like, what has happened to Eric? And I went up and he said, hey, you know what, I thought we would do this in the parking lot, but I figured, you know what, in the foyer would be fine. And I had people looking over and it's like this baggie of white powder. I know what's in here. All right, now listen, there's security everywhere. Nobody rushing the stage right now, okay? We have security everywhere. But he, he hands me this white powder, which is intended to refresh. And here's what I know, many, many people Decide, I can't handle what life is bringing to me, so I got to find a way to hide in something like this. Well, um, just to be clear, this is a white powdery substance that does provide refreshment. And it's not what you think. Well, maybe it is. Eric and I and uh, his father in law, Glenn Karsten, and um, his brothers in law are going to. Grand Canyon in a couple of weeks, and we're going to do a rim-to-rim hike. And I'll tell you what, there is refreshment that is absolutely necessary if you want to complete that hike, and this, in powder form, is electrolytes, and so, of course, it would be essential for me to find refreshment in that. So I'm very glad that Eric decided to, to go public with the thing that we need to find refreshment in for that hike. Thanks, Eric. I can hook you up later if you like. You know what's really crazy? Pause for a moment. Someone could take the video right now and just clip it and make it say what they want, and I, along with Summit Church, we're in big trouble. So we're going to pray that that doesn't happen. Where do you look for refreshment? Now, here's what I want you to do. Is that as, you think about, as you think about life here on earth, what are the things that you need rest from? What are the things that you need rest from? You have your arms full of life's hard things that I just simply need a breath from. I just need to breathe. Your temptation is to run from it. What are those things? I want you to bring them to mind right now. Here's mine. It's a, it's a grocery cart full that if I right now could go right up to the feet of Jesus and say, here's what I want you to deal with right now because this is robbing me of rest. My mom has cancer. She's finished her first week of both radiation and chemo, and I know she's not doing well with that. I'm like, Jesus, come on, come on. Not, okay, don't, don't give me rest, but give my mom and dad rest. 
There's another in my small group, cancer, going through her treatments. It's like, add that to my grocery card. There's another family in my small group. This is one small group. We're all facing cancer of a dear loved one. Grocery card, Jesus, please deal with this now because I want rest. Maybe your house is in entire shambles, whether it's a physical shambles or a family shambles or whatever. You are like, God, get me out of this now. I can't take it anymore. I'm right now, I'm tempted to run. I want to rest from it. Broken marriage, wayward kid, what is it? Black mold. I'm watching my son and daughter-in-law and their two little ones. Their house is torn apart because of black mold. Can't live in it. Grocery cart, Jesus, take care of this, please. Take care of these things that this silly world we live in continues to throw at me. I want rest. I want to breathe. Take it from me. What is yours? What are your things? Well, as we work our way into today's passage, finding rest, I want you to understand something. When it doesn't come at the pace or the way we want, we determine we're going to do it on our own. We try and bear hug it and squeeze the life out of it and determine that we know the best way to get after finding rest from the escape from these things. I want you to know something. It can't happen. If we determine that it's up to us to find rest, we will fail every time. If we find a place of rest from these things, it will only be temporary. It will find its way back into your life in some other form. There is only one answer for rest, and I want you to write this down right now. The only place I can find true rest, true refreshment, is in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the only place. Why would you say Jesus? Well, first of all, Jesus is the, both the author of work as well as the author of rest. He is the one that by the word of his mouth in creation for six days expended himself, not to the end because we know he can't be spent, working to make everything that we can see and smell and hear and experience all around us. He is the hands, his hands are responsible for making everything. He is the author of work. And so he is also the one that is the author of rest. As we see, after seven days or six days of work, he determined it would be a day of rest and a day of rest for you and for me. Now, there are physical and spiritual implications, and we're coming to the spiritual, but the physical implications of this are, if I'm hiking through the Grand Canyon, and it's 24 miles long, and I don't take care of myself as it relates to replenishing and refreshment, there are significant physical implications to come to bear. Jesus says, hey, look, your body can only handle so much. The physical, physical implications of not resting is you will eventually put, be put down. I've watched guys work themselves into a hospital bed because they refuse to rest. Physical implications of that. The spiritual implications are this, and we're about ready to get into it. Jesus is our eternal answer for everlasting and eternal rest and refreshment. He says himself, Jesus does in Matthew chapter 11, he says, come to me all who are weary and I will give you what? Rest. I will give you rest. Come to me, he says. In my presence, he says, is where you will find everlasting rest. 
And today, so if you want to turn there, we're going to listen to what God has to say through his apostle Peter in Acts chapter 3. So as you turn there, here's what I want you to, I want to continue to hear this. Everlasting, true refreshment comes from the presence of the Lord. In verse 19, this is kind of the theme verse for today. Peter says that we repent. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Verse 20, that times of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord. If you want refreshing, if you want rest, if you want a breath, the only place you're going to find that is in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, if you have never come to personal and real relationship with Jesus Christ, it makes perfect sense to me that you are not at rest, that the things of this world continue to grind you and wear you down. It makes sense that you would be worn out because you don't know what it's like to be in the presence of the Lord, brother in Christ, sister in Christ. What are you doing now, today, over the past week or two, to be in the presence of the Lord. Yes, you were eternally saved by the indwelling Holy Spirit of God, but what are you doing to approach your relationship with Jesus Christ? I want you to be wrestling over that, okay? Times of refreshings come, for refreshing comes in the presence of the Lord. All right, so here we go. We're gonna, I, I just wanna recap, as you have your finger in, uh, in chapter three of Acts, so just a little background that is necessary. Jesus has just appeared after he has risen from the dead to the disciples, and he's standing with them, sitting with them, spending time with them, and he says this to them. I want you to wait right now. I want you to wait here for the promise of the Father, and that is the Holy Spirit. He is about to come. Jesus after speaking these things, he ascends into heaven, and if we are with the disciples, we're doing the same things. We're staring up into heaven. We're watching him disappear into the sky, and then these two guys show up in white, and this is what they say. This is what they say. Why do you stand here looking into heaven? Jesus, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. What an amazing truth. And if I'm one of them, I'm like, oh, let's go. Let's keep watching. Let's get after it. He has assigned to us. He wants us to bring more people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because one day he's going to return just as he left. Chapter two, we see Pentecost happening. This is when these tongues of fire descend and split and, and end up the Holy Spirit through that experience fills each one of the disciples and they are speaking in languages that are understood by at least 15 different people groups, and they're wondering, what's this miraculous thing that's happening that this guy is speaking in one language, yet every one of us is understanding it? And Peter, the one who was afraid of everybody, because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, he says, men of Israel, he has given his first sermon right here. He says, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know that Jesus, he was delivered up according to the de definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you, you, he says, you crucified 
and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it could not, it was not possible for Jesus to be held by death. He is alive. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, the one you crucified. Let all the house of Israel know this. They are cut to the heart. They say, what should we do? What should we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the eternal presence of God, the place where you will forever find rest from all of your toil. Over 3,000 souls as a result of that sermon that Jesus or that Peter preached came in to everlasting relationship with Jesus and the church age began. Praise God for that. It began then, and it's gone today. There is nothing, not even the gates of hell, that will prevail against the church because of God. Miraculous thing happens. Speaking in crazy tongues. People are aware of it. And then let's begin by taking a look at chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. And I just need to run through this real quickly so we can set the stage, all right? if it's not said enough already. Now, after that, we see Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and doing what? Praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So I want you to think right now. It's, let, let's, let's, we have the magnificent wonder of trying to transport ourselves. We're seeing the full account happen here from Acts chapter 1, 2, and now into chapter 3 about these crazy things that God has done through the gifting of the Holy Spirit into men, doing miraculous things like speaking in tongues that all understand. Healing a man that has been seen laying by the beautiful gate day after day after day asking for alms. Give me money. I can't support myself. So we're there, and all of a sudden, bam! You're sitting on your front porch. You're reading the Sunday newspaper, or you're flipping through the latest, your latest Instagram feeds. You see people running. Look at verse 11. 
You see people running. While he clung to Peter and John, this man that was just healed, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Now, what would you do if you heard this stuff? You're sitting on your front porch, you're minding your own business, and and aware of the things that have already happened. Pentecost, okay? This thing called the church. Like, these people are doing crazy things. They're taking care of each each other. They're loving on each other. They're sharing what the the Lord has provided them with each other. You're You're sitting on your front porch, and you see this happening. People are running. And you're hearing people screaming, Peter... And John, apostles of the one called Jesus, has just healed the guy that lays by the gate every day asking for alms. He is up dancing around, praising the Lord, jumping and shouting. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? As you sit on your front porch and you fold the newspaper up, and you, you, heard about what, you heard about what these disciples did. The voice of God through Peter provoked 3,000 souls to come to him. Now there's a healing. And you are standing on the edge of your front porch with your grocery cart full of stuff that you want God to deal with. All of this stuff that is robbing me of rest and refreshment. I can't breathe because the weight of all of this stuff continues to lean on me. I bet this, if we were there, we would be up because here's what we're thinking. The line is forming in front of Peter and John. And I want to get as close to the front of that line as I can. You grab your spouse, you grab your kids, you grab your grocery cart, and you just start to run. You run. And you run, and you get there, you're out of breath, and you're standing there with the crowds. And then verse 12. Look, the healing is astounding. Absolutely astounding. Tongues astounding. Can't make sense of it. Miraculous. They were astounded. But Peter's response to them is what should astound you and me, even far greater than this healing that they witnessed. Verse 12, and when Peter saw, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. He says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though by our own power and piety we have made him walk? Verse 13, he goes right after it with them. Listen, he says, the God of Abraham the one that you would declare to be God, the God of the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the one you would declare to be your God, and the God of Jacob, the God of your forefathers, the one that we would declare to be our God, God himself, the God of our fathers. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though we did it? So what would you expect him to say next after declaring, it's your God, the one you declare to be yours? Wouldn't you expect him to say, he is the one responsible for this man's healing? Like bringing clarity to it. That's what I would have said. This God that you claim to be your own, he's the one that healed this man. He's the reason why he's jumping up and down. 
Now, while we know that to be true, that's not his first response. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Look at verse 13. This God whom, gets crazy again, remember, Peter was afraid to even declare that Jesus was his, he was with Jesus. Scared to death. Denied Christ three times. Remember the sermon he preached. He's saying it again, the one whom, verse 13, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. When he had decided to release him, Pilate was going to release Jesus, but you delivered him over and denied in the presence of Pilate. Verse 14, you denied the holy and righteous one, you, you did this, and you asked for a murder to be granted to you. Verse 15, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead, to this we are witnesses. So remember, you're standing in line now with your grocery cart full of rest-stealing things. He's pointing a finger at you, and he's saying, you're responsible for the death of Jesus. You are responsible for his crucifixion. You are the one that actually asked for it. Left to me, I'd have said, whoa, whoa, I didn't come here for you to accuse me of something I had nothing to do with. Let's get out of here. You take your grocery cart and your family and you start to leave and then your wife grabs you by the ear and says, oh no, oh no. In my grocery cart is you. And I want him to fix you. Or you grab your, you you are determined to stay and you grab your wife by the ear and your kids and you're like, you're in my grocery cart, I want them to fix you. So you and your family, you determine, okay, we're gonna stay here, we're gonna listen to the end of this. This is what he says, you're the one responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. And you're like, what's that have to do with us today? I'm probably jumping a little further ahead to the end than I should, but we need to understand right now that we, as we stand in line in front of Peter and John, we bear responsibility. We have to hear Peter, we have to hear God say through the voice of Peter to you and me through the pen of Peter, we are responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. We have to accept that. It's the beginning of humility and receiving that truth. We had everything to do with his death, even these 2,000 years later. Look at verse 16, okay? So he's, he's, dri- he's driving them. He's testing their ability to express humility in the midst of their great pride. We should be as well, all right? That's where he starts. Look at verse 16. And his name, Peter says, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. I want to say a word about that to bring some clarity to what right now I, want, I wonder if it's like rolling through your head. But, but you need, I, I, want this to be, I want this to be paramount. This needs to be the understanding, okay? Faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ is primary. 
That's the message that's being declared here by Peter as he's preaching. Faith in the person of Jesus Christ and what he has already accomplished on the cross is absolutely primary. That is something that will last for all of eternity as you accept that truth. Healing is temporary. Healing is temporary. I wonder about this guy who was healed, jumping and praising the Lord three years later. I wonder what kind of things he was dealing with. That long in the past, miracle. Healing is temporary. The dealing with your grocery cart is full of stuff is temporary. What is eternal, the place of eternal, everlasting, true refreshment is in the presence of the Lord by accepting the truth of the gospel message. So now a word about this guy's healing. Faith. If, if, if I would have had enough faith, my late wife killed in a car accident, if I would have had enough faith, God would have healed her. That's wrong thinking. This healing has nothing to do with the faith of the man that was healed. Nothing. He is laid at the gate for selfish gain by individuals who see his plight and know that through him, it is more likely that we'll get silver and gold. That guy had no faith. When Peter and John walked past, all he wanted from them was some money. And Peter's like, I don't have that for you, but this is what I have. And he brings a healing, a declaration of the power of Christ in someone's life. Peter was given faith through Christ. It was gifted to him. God determined in that moment to use this miracle. And yes, praise God for the saving or, or the healing of that man's legs. But understand this. You are no longer on your front porch. You are running because of the miracle that happened by the work of God because you want Christ to do something in your life. You want this stuff to be taken care of. This man's healing is secondary. What's primary is the everlasting and eternal call of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ of you to him. Even 2,000 years later after this healing, he is using it to call people unto himself. His faith by faith in his name through Jesus. It is the power of Jesus working through mankind to draw people unto himself. Faith in the gospel is primary. The healing is secondary. The truth is the gospel saves. Healing only heals. The gospel saves. Healing heals. What do you want today? I know what I want. I know this, I know, I know if I walk up to Peter and say, empty this grocery card, he could do it by the power of the Holy Spirit of God through him. He could do it. But guess what? Weeks later, months later, years later, your grocery card is again full of stuff that this broken world continues to put into it. I want everlasting true refreshment. Look at verse 17. And now, brothers, I know. <laughs> Here we go. All right, look. You're responsible for putting Jesus on the cross. And guess what? Hey, I understand. Like, I, I hear the condescension. It seems like 
This is just the way I think in Peter's voice. Look, guys, I understand you acted in ignorance. What? Another opportunity for your pride to be put down and humility to rise. What do you mean? I'm not ignorant. I know what I'm doing. Peter says, and Peter says, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. That's easy, right? (laughs) Our rulers never make a wise decision. They're always acting in ignorance, but not me. As did your rulers, verse 18, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, his Christ would suffer. He thus fulfilled. It's fulfilled. So look. So look at this. Okay, you ready? We, apart from the Holy Spirit of God, so it is by grace we are saved and it is a gift. We all Any decision we make apart from the Holy Spirit of God is one made in ignorance. So we should receive that. Hey, look, understand this. Mercy is extended by God because he knows before before he gives you your faith, you are acting in ignorance, only doing what you believe to be best for you. The moment you come into relationship with God, he pours his Holy Spirit out in you and you are in a place now where you're able to make decisions that are wise. So unbeliever, one who has yet to accept the power and the truth of Jesus Christ and his gospel message, I just want to say right now, actually, I'm not, I'm not saying it. God said it through Peter and his pen that you are acting in ignorance. You are living in ignorance. And it's time, it's time to receive the truth of this message. It's time to receive the truth of this message. Brothers and sisters in Christ, listen to this. Anytime you and I make a decision apart from the Holy Spirit of God in us, we're acting in ignorance. We still need him. And when we act in ignorance, guess what comes? We provoke situations uh, that, that, that suck life from us. We cannot make a right decision apart from the Holy Spirit of God. So let's, let's wind this um, to a close here. Because there is truth for this, this account. This is not a story, it's an account of what actually happened. How can I have this true refreshment. Look at verse 19. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. And verse 20 is it. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and then he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the times, the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. For the sake of time, here's what it is. If you want everlasting, if you want everlasting, if you want true refreshment, true rest, it's not in the fixing of your grocery cart full of junk. It is declared here by the holy word of God. It's in the presence of the Lord where you will find rest. Give it a try. There are no sweeter times in my relationship with the Lord than when I am quiet with him and his word is open. 
presence of the Lord brings peace. It brings rest. So how do I get to the presence of the Lord? Peter declares it. Repent. Repent. Accept. You put him on the cross by the filthiness of your living. Repent and turn back from it that your sins may be blotted out. The moment you do that, as far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove your transgressions from you. And as he does that, he brings you into relationship to the feet of Jesus from now until forevermore. That's where you find true refreshment. But the second half of that verse, which I wish we had more time to talk about. So now, so now you're like, okay, I, I understand. I'm now in a relationship with Christ. He can help me deal with this stuff. He can help me deal with it. Praise God for that. But he also, he points back to the disciples standing and staring up into the skies. Jesus has just left. And the guys, the two guys dressed in white say, come on guys, let's go. The way you saw him leave, he's coming again. So the glorious hope of the return of Jesus Christ says, all right, I'm now in a relationship with him, everlasting, eternal. He's taking care of this stuff. I don't have to let that weigh me down anymore. I can find rest in Christ. And my hope has been restored and made perfect, knowing I, no longer, I know that one day this grocery cart will no longer fill up because I'm going to forever be with Jesus when he restores all things as he intends for them to be perfect, wiping away every tear from every eye. If you want true rest, be in the presence of Jesus and hope in his glorious return. That's it. I have one quick story. I was having coffee with a guy on, I asked for his permission, I had coffee with a guy on um, this past Thursday. And I presented to him, I said, if you had one request, you show up at the feet of Jesus and you had one request to fix anything in your life, what would it be? This man is watching his marriage fall apart. Divorce is coming. marriage is a mess. I said, one thing, one thing, you request Jesus fix this. What would you ask? And he sat there and he thought and he thought and he thought. And guess what I thought he was going to say? Oh, man, restore my marriage. His marriage is in the grocery cart. He didn't say that. He said, could I ask for a hot tub time machine? Now, it's from a movie. The hot tub time machine, he said, would give me the chance to go back and tell my younger self, God, fix him. Fix me. Change me. Bring me into right relationship with you, Jesus, then. I look at the train wreck I've made for the past 10, 15 years. Because he knows the truth. I can't, I can't control what ends up in that grocery cart. I can only be in the presence of the Lord where that will bring me everlasting rest from that stuff. What is it you want from Jesus? My word to you today from the word of God is be in the presence of the Lord. Father, 
If there is anyone here today that is experiencing a lack of true refreshment, true rest, Lord, draw the heart ever unto yourself, doing a magnificent work. Help them to see and know the experience of being in your everlasting and eternal presence. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.